As we continue this series that we're in called Red Letters, if you got your Bibles today, we're going to be wrapping up Matthew chapter five. This is the sixth week of our series and we're wrapping up the first of three chapters today. So this series is going to take a little bit of time, but we want to get through Jesus message to us. And we call this series Red Letters because in a lot of our Bibles, Jesus words were red letters And the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew five through seven is the longest recorded passage or sermon that Jesus gives us. What to a little recap to get us to where we are today in Jesus's message, uh, Matthew's theme is that the kingdom of God is at hand. So the purpose of Matthew's book, he was talking about that Jesus was the savior king who God sent to save us, but he's also king and the kingdom of God is active in his presence in our lives. Jesus came to bring good news. And so he, the, the, the sermon that Jesus starts out, out with opens with this thing called the Beatitudes where he's declaring blessing into our lives. And if you read the Beatitudes, a lot of those circumstances seem a little bit negative and Jesus is declaring blessing into those circumstances because with God's presence comes blessing regardless of the circumstances we're in. So if you had a rough week, that's okay. You can still be blessed because God's presence is with you and in your life. And so that's how Jesus starts his, this uh, sermon. And then he talks about while, how we as his followers, when we're in him, when we're following him, when we're his disciples, we have the power to be agents of change, salt and light, salt and light. And then right after this, right after he tells his disciples that they're going to be salt and life, he starts talking about righteousness. And that's how we should be living. Our righteousness, Jesus says, should exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Well, we don't really know that much about scribes and Pharisees because we don't have them here in our culture. But really what they were was the most religious people you can think of. So your righteousness, how good you are in the sight of God, should exceed that of the most religious people that you can think of. Well, that sounds hard. That sounds hard for us to do. But the thing is, is that we're not really righteous. We're righteous through Jesus. And so then Jesus starts talking about how the specific things. So he talks about anger and he talks about how our relationships would be with one another. He talks about how if we're worshiping and we remember that we have a, a problem with someone else, we should stop our worship with God, go fix it come back and then we can start worshiping again. And so Jesus cares as much about our relationships with other people as he does our relationship with him. And then last week we looked at Jesus teaching on lust, divorce and taking oaths. Today we're going to look at the part of the sermon, the part of the Sermon on the Mount, which seems impossible to do on our own. This is just what we're going to talk about today. It just seems impossible to do on our own. But we've got God's help. The boxer. Mike Tyson said this, everyone has a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Everyone has a plan. Like you can be like, man, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this and I'm going to say this and this is how this is going to go and whatever. But then in a fight, when you get punched in the mouth, if you're a boxer, like the plan just goes out the window, right? We live in a world that has conflict. We live in a world where there is going to be strife. We live in a world where people take advantage of one another and they treat other people wrong. Maybe you've been taking of, maybe you've taken advantage of someone else. We, we just live. This is the world that we live in. Jesus knew that his followers would face trials and persecution. He even said so. And we read it a couple weeks ago in verse 11 and 12. After, blessed are you when others value you 
and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, Jesus' account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to be my follower, you are going to face trials. You're going to face conflict. You're going to face struggles. You're going to face persecution. You're going to face issues in life. Some of you guys are like, well, man, I mean, that that feels great. I feel great right now. I mean, that's all the church I need for today. I have time to go home. Life's hard. Cool. All right. I get it. No. But what Jesus is saying is like, hey, this let's just be realistic. We we're, we're in a world where conflict is going to happen when we read the Bible. It doesn't tell us that one day humanity will achieve some form of enlightenment on our own. But in fact, Jesus promises trouble in John 16, verse 33. He says this in this world, you will have tribulation. If you if you're not in it now, guess what? It's coming in this world. You will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world in this world. You will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You're going to run into problems. You're going to run into conflict. You're going to run into to places and people that aren't going to treat you the right way. These are things that are going to happen to you. And what Jesus said is that it's going to happen, but he has overcome the world. He has overcome. Will conflict be an eternal thing? No, I mean, one day the Bible does talk about how God will settle all scores. One day it's going to be it's going to go away. But for those of us who are living in the here and now, I mean, I would like for it to go away. I would like for there to be a time where we never fight. We never have a disagreement. We never have anybody doing people wrong. But we just live in a world where that happens. In Isaiah chapter two, verse uh, two through four, this is talking God talking about how one day he's, it's all going to go away. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of, of the hill of, of the Lord shall be established as the highest of mountains and shall be lifted above all hills and the nation shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may follow his paths for out of Zion shall flow forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will listen to this. He will judge between the nations and he shall decide disputes for many peoples and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nations. Neither shall they learn war anymore. This is the end times promise of God that that and I love this picture that, that that swords will be beaten into plowshares and spears will be beaten into pruning hooks. What was meant to take life and destroy is now will be repurposed as a tool to give life. What was meant to take life is is repurposed as a tool to give life. So God not only redeems our hearts through salvation in Jesus, he redeems our bodies through the resurrection, but he re his just Justice here redeems our work. It redeems our activity. It redeems how we treat each other. It redeems how we interact with the world. And we're as Christians, we're supposed to work towards this. But the idea that everything's going to be perfect. And when you come to Jesus, all your problems are going to go away and everybody's going to treat you nice. And you're just going to be skipping through the fields and eating ice cream all day. That's just not there. That's not the promise that Jesus gives us. And so what Jesus is talking about this in this section of the sermon He's talking. He's going to talk to us about what happens 
When you face trial, when you face strife, when you face persecution, when people treat you unkindly in life. And that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look and see what Jesus says when things, when, when just negative things happen to us. The hope that we have in the kingdom of God, uh, the hope that we have in his kingdom coming in the resurrection. But listen, we're not there yet. We have to know how to live with conflict. And this is what Jesus says in, in verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Now, where have we heard this said before? In Leviticus, a lot of these people would have known this. In Leviticus chapter 24, verse 19 and 20, if anyone injures his neighbor, this is the law, this is like the, the, uh, the law documents, the constitution, like how the government should work. This is the law that, that the people of Israel lived under. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he is done, it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury he has given a person shall be given to him. This concept of eye for eye, tooth for tooth was all over the ancient world. It was all over. In the Code of Hammurabi in the 18th century BC in Babylon, there were similar rules. This was established so that justice would be done fairly regardless of class and regardless of wealth. Jesus isn't saying that what has happened here, what, what, what he's going to say here in a minute is not that this concept is evil. That's not what he's saying. That this, without this concept, there would only be like a, the twisted version of the golden rule. Have you guys ever heard of the twisted version of the golden rule? You know, the golden rule, treat others as you would have them. Treat. Yeah, okay. The twisted version is whoever has the gold makes the rules. Whoever has the gold makes the rules. And so what happens is, is in this culture, if you had the money, you had the wealth, you had the class, you had the whatever, you could treat people however you wanted because you had the power. And Jesus is not saying that this concept of whatever is done to a person should be done back is in the fairness of that. He's not saying that that should not be the law. What he's talking about here is he's talking to us about when we personally go through trials, when we personally go through attacks. Just a, a few passages earlier, remember that Jesus was saying that he isn't there to rewrite or do away with the law of the Old Testament. In Matthew 5, 17, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill them. Each command that Jesus gives after verse 17 with the expectations that Jesus' followers, the expectations that he puts on them is that the followers of Jesus are to act more generously than what the law says that they should act. So the law kind of sets this standard and Jesus after verse 17, and we've talked about it. We've talked about anger. We've talked about lust. We've talked about uh, oaths. We've talked about all these things. And the expectation that Jesus puts on us as his followers is that we're to take not the law as like the starting point, but we're to exceed it. We're to, to beat those expectations. We're to go beyond those expectations. Think about it. To every Jew that Jesus was talking to, to every person that Jesus was talking to, they were all Jews, all of them. A couple of instances where he was talking to a Gentile, Roman, whatever. But for the most part, Jesus is talking to a Jew, uh, Jews when, he was, when he's saying this. When he's talking to them, obedience to the law of Moses was the height of spiritual achievement. This was what you were striving for, was that you were going to be obedient to the law. This was the, the, we're all trying to get there. And you would live your whole life just trying to be good enough to get there. But in G what Jesus is saying here is obedience to the law, people, is just a starting point. This is, this is like step one. It's not the finish line. It's the starting line. And so this is what he says. 
Matthew 5, 38. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Base level. This is the law. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, give him your cloak as well. If anyone uh, forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, before we unpack what Jesus is saying here, we must understand that Jesus is talking about principles for living. He's talking about principles, like the overall principle for your personal life. He's not necessarily establishing set rules of like every time you get slapped, turn the other cheek. That's not what he's saying. Like he's not being like every time this happens, do this. He's just saying this is a principle for life. An Australian theologian named Leon Morris said it this way. Jesus is, of course, dealing with great principles, not laying down rules. We must not think that he held that his followers should never right wrongs. Were it this so, then all Christians would live under tyranny and in a state of destitution. But the principles that we are to refrain from asserting our rights and that we would put the needs of others before our own run through all of life and mark the difference between a servant of God and the worldling. That's Leon Morris's words. And so the difference between us as Christians and the difference between that is that I don't demand that my rights be met, but that I can go beyond that and to, to put the needs of other people ahead of my own needs. In this context of what Jesus is talking about here, he's referring to private relationships, me and you, not public order, like how things should be in life. When someone does evil to you, how should you respond? Morris continues saying this, to be the victim of some form of evil does not give us the right to hit back. Proper conduct in such cases is not retaliation, but readiness to endure a further blow. There will be occasions when protest is in order, but in such occasions never is never there for the purpose of revenge and the like. We should stand up for justice. We should stand up for righteousness. We should stand up for people being treated fairly. That's not what Jesus is saying here. But what he's saying is that when we go through things, the answer for us is not revenge and comebacks. The answer for you and I is not revenge and comebacks. He wants his followers to be better than revenge and comebacks. At some point, Someone has to stop the cycle of violence. Someone has to stop the hatred and bitterness. Someone has to be the bigger person. And Jesus is telling his followers, let that someone be you. Let that someone be you. Now, let's look at the two examples that Jesus gave. If someone would sue you and take your tunic, let him take the cloak as well. In this time, uh, this is what people wore. So they didn't, they didn't look like us today, you know, t-shirt, jeans, whatever. shoes. Are. This is what they wore. They wore a, um, a loincloth, which is basically underwear. And then they wore a tunic, which was an inner garment. And then they wore a cloak, which was an outer garment. And then they wore a belt, a head covering, and sandals. That was their, I mean, that's, you know, you're going to go to, 
Abercrombie or the Gap, you know, that, that's what they sold. Everybody sold the same. Everybody wore the same thing, right? So you would wear this thing and that's what you had. And for a lot of people, even when they were the poorest of the poor, like their clothing was all they had. It wasn't like they had like this, um, this, you know, closet and like all these hangers. And, you know, my, my kids like to steal hangers out of my closet. I don't know about your kids, but, um, but like they, they had like all these things where, where they, where they, you know, they didn't have like chests of drawers of clothes and a new different outfit for every day. A lot of times that like what they had was like, this is my clothes. This is like the clothes I'm wearing are my clothes. This is it. And so what would happen is when someone would get taken to court and they had no assets left, you could be sued for your tunic. Like you could, I could actually sue you in like this inner garment. Like you still had your, your underwear, but you had this inner garment you could sue. But you could not be sued for your cloak. Your cloak was a personal, like that was a personal right. Like you, you, you couldn't have that forcibly taken from you. So what Jesus is saying here is someone sue you and take your tunic. Okay, well, yeah, that happens. Let him have your cloak as well. What he's saying here is that the law, it requires a certain level of kindness to someone else. But I want you to do more. I want you to do more when there's conflict and there's there's struggle in your life and people are against you or whatever. The law requires a base level of kindness, but I want you to do more. The same goes to the next example. If if anyone, Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Now, today, this may seem like a very random thing to say, but to Jesus audience, they knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew exactly what he was talking about here. They uh, if he says if anyone, but really what he's doing is he's making a very specific reference in the word mile here refers to 1000 paces, 1000 paces, 1000 steps. And it was understood as a fixed measure under Roman law. And you have to realize that Jesus was living in, in, in Israel at the time. And so everyone was used, but they were occupied by Rome under Roman law. It stated that a Roman soldier could force a person living in an occupied territory to carry their pack 1000 paces, but no more than that. So I, as a Roman soldier, could come up to you and say, you need to carry this pack 1000 paces, but can't go more. I can't make you go more than that. So when Jesus says, when anyone, wink, wink, anyone asks you to go a mile, go with him too. The first mile is forced upon you. That is kindness that you have to do, that you have to do it. But the second mile that you go with them is given to them. You have the right to give that to them. So when people come after you, when you face trials, when you face opposition, when things are taken from you, you have the choice to respond with two different types of kindness. The first kindness is the kindness that is required of you. Kindness that is demanded of kindness that like, well, for me to be a a good person, for me to follow the law, for me to do the right thing, you know, like I just have to do this base level of kindness. But the second level of kindness that Jesus is talking about in both of these examples is kindness that is given. Kindness that is required and kindness that is given. Kindness that is required, the kindness is given. The first mile. The kindness that is required of you, that takes away your freedom. I do this because I have to. That takes away your freedom. The second mile that he's telling people to walk, that reclaims your freedom. I did the first mile because I had to do it. I did the second mile because I wanted to do it. 
So Jesus is saying here that so many people, they're bound up by conflict because they'll only do the first mile. You, you think of the relationships that you've had and the conflicts that you've had and the, the issues that you've had. And, and I can just think of, of, of marriages that have ended and businesses that have uh, relationships that have fallen apart because people were only willing to do the first mile. They were only willing to do the, the first mile that takes away the freedom and kindness because I have have to do it. Kindness that is required of me. But the second mile that when I go beyond what is required and I give kindness, even to someone who I don't like, even to someone who's taken advantage of me, when I give this kindness, it reclaims my freedom and my dignity. When we're talking about people that we don't like and those who have been unkind to us, we don't get away with treating them with the bare minimum of kindness. What Jesus is saying here is you must exceed the law. You must exceed the law. Now, does this sound like it's easy to do? No, no. Like if someone cuts you off in traffic, like the last thing you want to do is be like, oh, yeah, man, I hope they have a great day. You know, you might say that, but it might be like super sarcastic, right? No, maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm maybe I'm I need to get more saved. Right. Uh, or you have you know, you have the the server at the restaurant who's just rude to you and whatever. By the way, uh, we tell you guys to take the cards. If you take the cards, you leave them at the restaurant. Please tip well, like just to like make it like like make it a great thing, like make it a great experience for them. Their tip is not an invite to our church. Let's just say that. But let's say you have like a bad experience. A lot of us, what we want to do is we want to just be like, man, this is just the bare minimum I got, I got to do to make sure that I'm being a, a Christian, quote unquote, today. But that's not what Jesus is telling us here. When we're facing trials, when we're facing conflict, we have to go over and above with kindness. We can reclaim our dignity. We can reclaim our freedom by giving the second mile. Jesus continues in verse 42. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, the assumption here is that the, the needs of the beggar are genuine. Like Jesus is not saying, you know, give to just anybody like or whatever. If they're genuine, you shouldn't ignore the, the needs of, of someone who, who's doing that. However, what we don't see Jesus mandating here is what and how we should give here. Just that we should. So you should be giving to those who are in need. You should be giving to those who need help. You should be doing that. But he doesn't tell you what and how. He just says to do it. Uh, several years ago, I oversaw the missionary relationships at a church. Like it was a pretty large church and I oversaw the missionary relationships. And one of the things that uh, was part of that is that I oversaw our benevolence. And what that was is when someone called the church from the community, they didn't go to our church at all. They just called the church and they're like, hey, I need help with my utilities. I need help uh, paying rent. I need help you know, gas in my car or whatever it was, or food, whatever it was, they would call the church and I had to like be the person to say, well, here's what we can do to help you. Like that was part of, of my job. Now, um, it, it, when we looked at that, our team took this responsibility very seriously for two reasons. One, Jesus commands us to help right here. He says, help, like you should help, like we should be doing this. But, but the second thing that we considered was that the funds that we had as the church to use to help other people, those funds were given, just like people like you, people like me, those funds were given from people's tithes and offerings. 
And so if someone was coming to the church to work a scam or to work an angle or something like that, because this stuff happens, this stuff actually happens. Uh, there was a story where um, <laughs> we had a couple come by and he wanted gas. He's like, I got a job in California and this is we're in Alabama. So this is far away. And I'm like, oh, that's awesome, man. Like, what what can I do? You know, how can I help you? Like, how can I whatever? He goes, I need gas money to get there. And I said, OK. Um, I said, how much how much, you know, you, you you're gonna need several tanks of gas to get there. And he goes, yeah. And I, I said, okay, well, tell me where you, where are you from? Like, where, where are you guys from? He's like, well, I'm from Indiana and she's from Florida. And I go, okay. And so we're talking or whatever. And I said, well, you're going to California to get a job. That's fantastic. I was like, where, what part of uh, Florida are you coming from? Because again, I-10, I don't know if you know this, I-10 that goes through Phoenix goes all the way to Jacksonville, Florida. What part of Florida are you coming from? Going to California, getting a job. He goes, Oh, no, 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 no. We, we came from Indiana. And I was like, okay, so you're from, I said, man, I can help you with the map. I can help you with a map. That's going to get you there faster. You're going to spend a whole lot less in gas and then I'll get you some food. That's what I'll do. But I'm not going to just give you money that people tithe and work for so that you can just kind of travel around the country aimlessly with your, like, I'm just not going to do that. And so what we see here, when Jesus is talking about give to the one who begs for you, like you, you can qual it's fair for you to qualify that need as a process of giving that money. Make sure that the money that you're going to is really helping people, not going to someone trying to work a scam. August, Augustine said this way, give to everyone who asks, but not everything to him who asks. So you don't have to give so give, but you can definitely qualify what's good or not. Jesus continues, verse 43. You have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Jesus is saying, you've heard it said again. Where have we heard this said? Is Jesus about to contradict the Old Testament? In the Old Testament, Leviticus, Le Leviticus was what Jesus quoted a couple minutes ago. He's quoting it again. Chapter 19, uh, verse 18. You shall love your neighbor. The Old Testament never says, though, that we can hate our enemy. It never says that, but the assumption is, is that if all I gotta do is love my neighbor, then I can, hate my, I can get away with hating my enemy, right? If all I have to do, if the base level of what I have to do is just love my neighbor, then I can get away with hating my enemy. Loving my neighbor would be good enough, but given the theme of what Jesus has said over the past couple of verses, do you think that that's good enough here? No, it's not. This is what he says. You've heard it said to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not the Gentiles, those who don't believe, do the same. Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Why should we love our enemies? Why should we, when someone treats us unkindly, when someone uh, does the wrong thing to us and says the wrong thing, why should we go over and above? Why should we go beyond kindness that's required? Why do we have to do this even when other people are unkind for us? Because God loves them. 
because God loves them. And for you and for me, when we were apart from God, when we were enemies of God, when we were living in our sin, the Bible talks about how Jesus, at that point in our lives, Jesus died for us. So this is the model. The model is, is that those who are close to God, those who are doing God's will, those who are living out God's plans in their life, those who are doing this, we must treat other people, especially our enemies, with kindness and with love because that is how God treated us. We're modeling his behavior. We're doing the way. We're living like God wants us to live when we do this for others. Romans 12, verse 2. I'll wrap up with this. This is Paul. He's talking about kind of the same concept. But he starts this chapter with saying this, do not be conformed to this world or the pattern of this world. Sometimes some of your Bibles might say that. And I would just add where the proper response of hatred and wrongs is returning hatred and wrongs. That's the pattern of the world we live in. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind and that by the testing that you may discern what the will of God is and what is good and pleasing and, and acceptable and perfect. Verse nine, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another with showing honor. Don't be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those. Listen to what he says here. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if the, your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with good. I said this before, but I'll say it again. How many relationships, how many marriages, how many, how many friendships have been broken because someone wanted to repay what they did, I got to do back to them. How they treat me, I'm going to treat them the same. Whatever that, and then, but even if I'm going to go beyond that, just the base level of kindness is what I'm going to show them. No, we have to go beyond that. Because when we go beyond that, we don't overcome evil with evil. We overcome evil with good. We as Christians need to strive to go beyond kindness that is required to us to the level of kindness that we give. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word today. God, I feel like I speak for everyone in this room, but I speak for myself 
more than anyone. We need help. We need help with this. God, when everything in our nature, when everything in, in, in our being, in our survival, and everything tells us that we have to fight back, that we have to defend ourselves, that we have to, that we have to prove that we're right, that we have to defend our honor and our integrity, that we have to uh, just to go after the, these, the conflicts and the people that are in our lives that are, that are doing these things. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Lord, give us peace in our minds. And give us the words to say. Because this teaching for us, God, it doesn't come natural. It only comes by the leading of your spirit. And so, Father, today I pray for every single person in this room. I pray for, for every single uh, person that, that is going through conflict, that has been through conflict. Maybe that's conflict that happened years ago, but they're still carrying the baggage and the scars and the wounds and the bruises from that conflict. Father God, I pray in Jesus' name that you bring peace and wholeness in Jesus. Lord, you would give us this extra measure of kindness to give to other people. Lord, you would give us this extra measure. Lord, in that you would give us direction as to how to use it and when to use it and not to, not to try to be kind but do it in a sarcastic way or, or, or whatever or, or even bury our heads in the sand and pretend problems don't exist. Lord, but we would learn how to live with kindness. In Jesus' name. God, we need your spirit to lead us in this. Because we can't do it on our own.